You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, the unofficial depth chart has been released, so I want to take a look at that. Um, kind of compare it to where I've got mine at. I wanted to take a look back real quick at a little bit of Aaron Rodgers around this time. What were people saying about him? I saw a conversation pop up on Twitter about um, some of the local media maybe being a little bit unfair and that they're seemingly choosing to misremember how things were. So I decided to do some of my own sleuthing. So we'll go back and look and see what I found there. And if we have time, we'll dig into a couple other things. I want to start with the 53-man roster, though. To be clear, all 32 teams are required to release some kind of a depth chart. So when they say unofficial, it's very unofficial. But at the same time, the team is required to put something on paper. Now, I tend to think that there is some politicking here that's going on. Maybe that's not exactly the right word, but it's the word I choose to use. And what I mean by that essentially is you might have some competitions or some people that maybe you don't really want to put ahead of so-and-so because it's too early. For example, I think it was Tampa that actually listed quarterback and put or in between the two quarterbacks because they didn't want to put one ahead of the other. I don't think it's because they don't currently see one ahead of the other. They just didn't want to have to put one ahead of the other. So that was their way of escaping that drama, whether it be in the media or in the locker room or whatever. So while we should take all of it with somewhat of a grain of salt, again, they chose to put these people in these positions for a reason. So let's take a look at where they're at. To to be clear, I currently have 54 people on my 53-man roster that assumes Eric Stokes starts on pop. I have 55, but Eric Stokes is included in that. So I have one too many people. But we'll look at what they have compared to what I've got so far. Um, Quarterback, obviously, is Jordan Love, then Sean Clifford, then Alex Magoo. As I've said, not only is that the way I have it, that's absolutely the way I expect it to stay, and I expect the line for practice squad to be drawn after Clifford before Magoo. Now, could somebody else be brought in, this, that, or the other? Sure, I guess, but I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, I shouldn't say that. There very well could be another quarterback that gets signed. There's plenty of time to bring people in, and, and they're, they're going to do that, right? At a very as rapid a pace as they possibly can, bring people in. In fact, they just brought in Nate McCrary, the running back. I don't think that's because they hate Tyler Goodson and Lou Nichols. It's just a thing that they're going to continue to do. Every time they see somebody that they like, Or as they've said, if there are certain people on the roster where they feel like, all right, we've seen enough, they're going to boot them off and bring somebody else on. It doesn't have to be the same position, though. It could be an edge rusher that they're like, all right, enough of that. That needs to go over here. I mean, for example, McCrary was brought in because Etling left. Those two positions have nothing to do with each other. So it's just who's next on our list that we really want to see. 
So if quarterback ends up being next on that list, if they've got somebody that they really want to bring in and get a look at, they're going to do that. But are they going to be able to beat out Magoo for our practice squad spot, which really is the only one that's up for debate. Sean Clifford is not. Uh, Jordan Love is not. Despite what social media and Bears fans and everybody else will tell you, and probably some Packers reporters, uh, who knows, saying that there's some competition for Love. There is not. It's nonsense. There's also no competition for Sean Clifford. It's the one and two are locked up. That's just the way it is. At um, running back, they have Aaron Jones and then A.J. Dillon. And as many people put it, everybody else was put into RB3. I think that's being a little bit, um, is obtuse the wrong word? I'm not entirely sure what that means. It may be more insulting than, it, than I intended to be. But it's um, choosing to be a little bit more ignorant because very obviously these are in order. And it goes Patrick Taylor, then Tyler Goodson, then Lou Nichols, then Emmanuel Wilson, then Nate McCrary. Which just so happens to be the exact order that I have it in. Yeah, I think obtuse was the wrong word because that just means stupid. And I meant just sort of deliberately choosing not to... Obtuse sounded right, but it's, it's a little more mean than it needed to be. But again, I do take that as currently Patrick Taylor is next in line. Yes, they are all technically still in the number threes, but I don't think it's just completely random that they happen to be the, in the exact order that the Packers have had them in, right? Patrick Taylor has been running with the number twos the entire time. Tyler Goodson has been with the threes. Then there's Lou Nichols, who hasn't really even played that much. Then there's Emmanuel Wilson, who we all know is not really going to make the team. Maybe practice squad, I don't know. And then Nate, who just got here. They're obviously in an order. So I do take that to be Patrick Taylor is, as of right now, the top guy. Can I explain why? No, I cannot. Then you have the fullback position. I had Henry Pearson as the one and only fullback and thought maybe he actually had a chance at winning the job because, you know, if they decide they want a true fullback, he's the guy. Unfortunately, they put Josiah DeGuara as the fullback. Now, I, I almost remember them doing this before in the past. Maybe I'm mistaken, but I, I may, and maybe this wasn't the official depth chart. It had more to do with either our lads or some other reporter podcast or whatever, just kind of doing their own thing and having him at fullback, which I never agreed with because it's like he's not a fullback. He's an H-back, which is a little bit closer to being a tight end than a fullback, which is what Josiah is. He's more of a tight end than a fullback, but whatever. They, they officially, unofficially, unofficially, officially put him in the fullback spot. Now, again, whether that's semantics or not, I don't know, but the fact that Henry Pearson is our number two fullback makes me think there's very little chance that he ends up um, making the 53, although it does kind of, in a way, give me a little bit more hope that he ends up making the practice squad, because he is our only backup fullback, if, in fact, we are going to employ a, a more pronounced fullback role. And maybe, they're, maybe they are pushing Josiah more into that fullback heavy role because we have the tight ends that we have. You know, the, the more H-backy role that Josiah had is going to be eaten up a little bit more by the tight ends that we have in Davis, Kraft, and Musgrave. I don't know. But uh, I now have Josiah as fullback one, and then the tight ends being Musgrave, Davis, Kraft, and then Austin Allen off. Now, again, I had mentioned to everybody, I, it made me sick to do it, but I put Tyler Davis ahead of Tucker Kraft because that's the feeling that I'm getting from the Packers. Sure enough, first string is Luke Musgrave. Second string is Tyler Davis. After that is third string, Tucker Kraft and Austin Allen. Again, I think Tucker makes it. I think Austin does not, although there's basically a uh, practice squad spot gift-wrapped for him because he is the only tight end on the team that is not on the 53. And assuming they'd like a tight end on the 53, that would be his job to lose. Wide receiver is a little bit weird because there's questions about how exactly this is all being uh, written out, I guess. They have um, 
Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, and Samori Ture as one, two, and three. Now, again, I find that to be very odd. This is one of the weirder ones to me, because not only has Jaden Reed been significantly better than Samori Ture, which doesn't have to mean anything, but Jaden Reed has been running with the ones way more significant, uh, what is the word? I guess often than Samori has. I mean, way, I mean, it's been, it's been, it's been Watson, Dobbs, Reed pretty much all through camp. So that one is is maybe a little bit more politicky, and if not politicky, maybe it's just a matter of they're pushing Jaden Reed into that slot because they expect him to be there and they need him to get up to speed. But at this time, he's not there. In other words, if the season started today, Samori Turi would be that guy because Jaden Reed isn't up to speed. But I am not adjusting my depth chart. Now there was another question that came up. JJ and I were talking about this in terms of this being kind of weird because. Dentavian, so in the second string, it's Dentavian Wicks, Bo Melton, and Jaden Reed, and we'll get to Bo Melton in a second, but um, Dentavian Wicks is Christian Watson's backup, Bo Melton is Romeo Dobbs' backup, Jaden Reed is Tamori Turi's backup, and he mentioned that it seemed odd that Wicks would be Watson's backup and Melton would be Dobbs' backup because Wicks is more the shifty route runner, Bo Melton is the speed guy, why wouldn't they be reversed? And my thought was, well, it has more to do with just being ranked top to bottom. But if that's the case, Jaden Reed would be below Wicks and Melton, which obviously is, is nonsense. The The alternative here is that Samori Turi, Jaden Reed, Grant DeBose, Jadakus Bonds are listed in the slot position, even though it's not listed as slot, and the Packers have already said that there isn't really like a slot thing or whatever. It's the thing that makes the most sense. And maybe we are just putting way more thought into this than the Green Bay Packers ever have. And they just listed names. I don't know. But again, I fully anticipate Jaden Reed to overtake Samori Ture, just like I fully expected Lucas Van Ness to overtake Kingsley and currently expect him to take over Justin Hollins. If he hasn't already, we'll get to that obviously in a minute. So I see this as on the boundary, in order, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, then Dentavian Wicks, because again, I have this top to bottom is how I think they did this, then Bo Melton. That puts Melton above DeBose, Crest, Heath, Bonds, Watts, Miller. After that would be Malik Heath, then Cody Crest, then Deuce Watts, then Dre Miller. Then for slot, you've got Ture, Reed, DeBose, Bonds. Now, it's a little bit weird because you could technically put DeBose, who's in the third string, ahead of Bo Melton, who's in the second string, because you've got one slot guy, so it's Ture, then Reed. Obviously, DeBose is not ahead of either of those guys, but he could technically be ahead of Melton. But either way, if you're just doing a linear chart, you know Watson, Dobbs, Ture, Reed, Wicks. You know that, because there's no other way that you could write this in which that's not the case. You also know that Heath, Crest, Watson, Miller are behind Bo Melton. You know Bonds is behind DeBose. The rest is a little bit up in the air. I did d- decide to make a slight change. I, I uh, don't remember exactly how I had this set up, but I, I did add Bo Melton to the 53. I, I I just kept them off because I couldn't pick which one would go on, but since they put him officially as the second string, I decided to, to give him that spot. Again, DeBose could be ahead of Melton, whatever. I do have DeBose as next in line. I think the fact that he has not hardly played at all, aside from the other day, getting his first little walkthrough practice probably contributes to him not being on the 53 right now. But so I did catapult Bo Melton above everybody else. And I am keeping Reed ahead of Ture because that's just how I feel like it It actually is and will be. So I have it Watson, Dobbs, Reed, Ture, then Wicks, then Bo Melton. Then I have um, currently outside of the 53, but still in order, Grant DeBose, then Malik Heath, 
then Cody Crest, then Jadakus Bonds from the slot, then Deuce Watts, then Dre Miller or Andre Miller, which is pretty close to how I had it, except I had, um, I think I had Crest ahead of Heath, which was always kind of probably nonsense to begin with, but just based on how he had been performing. But also Malik Heath blew it up in the uh, family night or whatever. So there we go. And again, you can see all this if you're on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can see it for just a buck, but there is a link to my 53. All this stuff is in order. Um, And then I think finally is the offensive line. Everything is as expected. You have Bakhtiari, Jenkins, Myers, Runyon, Tom. That's what it was. Backup to uh, backup left tackle, Yash Nyman. That's how I had it. Sean Ryan at left guard. Then Jake Hansen, Royce Newman, Rashid Walker. That's exactly how I had it laid out. Then they have backup left tackles, Caleb Jones, Kadeem Telfort. Then left guard, Gene DeLance. I'll move him over there. Then at center, James Empey. Then at right guard, Cole Schneider, which is weird because I think it was family night. They had Cole Schneider at center and James Empey at at right guard, but whatever. And then Luke Tenuta is the next backup right tackle. Again, I don't know how much of this has to do with just putting guys in a spot so that we have a third string guard center guard and tackle. I don't think this is, is, it really is where a lot of these guys' primary spots are. Again, Empey and Schneider are both centers. Gene DeLance is a tackle, but I'm guessing they put him at left guard just because we didn't have a third string left guard. I don't know. Whatever. I'll, I'll put it the way that they have it. All right, and then that brings us to the defensive side of things. On the interior, the top three, Kenny, Slayton, Wyatt, with Kenny and Wyatt as defensive ends, TJ Slayton as nose tackle. That makes sense. Then we got Wooden, Carl Brooks, and Jonathan Ford. Now, again, this doesn't necessarily have to mean that Jonathan Ford, as of right now, is in the top six. They're classifying that as a different position. Now, I, I, I would think if you're going to have nose tackle as a prominent position, you're going to need an additional backup, which would be Jonathan Ford. But if you're just ranking all of the defensive linemen, it could very well be the top three, then Wooden, Brooks, and then Moultrie is ahead of Ford in terms of who they actually like as a better prospect. I don't know. But as of right now, the top six that they have are the top six that I have, and I'm just going to leave it at that, which would be Kenny Clark, TJ Slayton, Devontae Wyatt, followed by Colby Wooden, Jonathan Ford, and Carl Brooks, with Slayton and Ford as the nose tackles, the other four being your defensive ends. Now, the other thing that's worth noting is that these broad classifications are getting to the point of meaning almost nothing. You know, it's kind of like strong safety, free safety, slot wide receiver, boundary wide receiver. There's so much intertwining going on, but there's still a matter of slightly different function. The kinds of things we're going to be asking Clark and Wyatt and Brooks and Wooden to do are going to be different than Slayton and Ford, even though they're all kind of going to be doing some of the same things depending on different formations, this, that, or the other. There's still a general difference in functions, which is why I tend to think you're going to want a backup nose tackle. Although, we know Kenny can slide in there if need be, and if things really get bad, we can call somebody up. But again, I'm going to leave it at that. At outside linebacker slash edge slash pass rusher, Preston and Rashawn are one and two. Fortunately, Rashawn did um, come. Did I even mention that? I forgot that I, I didn't talk about that because um, I missed out on yesterday's podcast. But as I'm sure you're well aware, unless I am your only lifeline to the Packers, in which case I apologize, Rashawn Gary was officially taken off of the, uh, what was he on, the NFI or the, I think he was on Pup. Whatever, he was injured and now he's back. He's still uh, limited in terms of what he's able to do. There is no absolute guarantee that he will be ready week one, but it 
certainly seems as though he will be. From there, you have Lucas Van Ness and Just- Justin Holland. Um, I don't have any clear distinction in terms of who would be ahead of who. From what I've seen in practice, Justin Hollins has been ahead of, um, of Lucas Van Ness. In fact, Lucas Van Ness coming ahead of Kingsley and Igbari is something that I just very recently did on my own uh, 53, whereas it seems as though Lucas Van Ness has been um, climbing a little bit. Either way, very similar to what I said with Jaden Reed and Samori Ture, if right now they see Hollins ahead of Lucas Van Ness, I don't expect that to stay that way. Um, based on the the increased usage of Lucas Van Ness and my own biased opinion, having seen him a little bit. I cannot wait to get some more clips of him, especially in the preseason. Maybe I'm way off, but the very limited amount of times that I've seen him, he just seems 100% legit and ready to go. Like today. Like now. After that, they have Kingsley Anikbari, Aaron Mosby, Brenton Cox, Keyshawn Banks, and Kenneth Odemegwu. Now, I have to assume, as we say that these are in order, it's top-down, but also alternating between the two. So it would be Kingsley, then Cox, then Mosby, then Banks, then Odemegwu. Maybe it doesn't have to be that way. I don't know, but that's all I'm going to... And, and it doesn't have to be Mosby over Banks, although that's the way I'm going to do it, and I am going to reshuffle the way I have it. Either way, it probably doesn't matter because as it's looking right now, not Brenton Cox probably isn't even going to get on the 53 because Rashawn is back, and I don't really see us bringing more than five, but we may. I don't know. So essentially on my own 53, all I really did was switch Aaron Mosby and Kenneth Odomegwu. Then at inside linebacker, again, no real surprises. We got Devondre and Quay, number one and two. McDuffie and Wilson, three and four. Then you got Carpenter and Jimmy Phillips after that, and again, I just don't see... I mean, I'm, I, I got my fingers crossed that both McDuffie and Wilson make it, and I don't know that they will. I think that they will because of their extreme necessity on special teams. But I, I just, again, don't see it for Carpenter. Now, I do think he's going to squeeze on the practice squad. I don't think they're just going to let him go. I just don't see a spot on the 53. The, the, the math just doesn't add up at any position. But I don't think you just let the guy walk. I, I think he has to be on, on special teams and ready to go in case of emergency. And I do think he's one of the first ones that comes back if somebody gets called up. Because, um, you know, I think they really like him as a special teamer and uh, as a prospect. But it just, you know, for right now, it doesn't look like it's working out. Then at corner, and they do actually distinguish nickel corner, which is different than wide receiver, which is kind of what makes that a little bit weird. But as far as boundary goes... And again, remember, Eric Stokes is still on PUP, so he's not on here right now. It's Jair and Razul, then Valentine, Valentine. And as I said, I've had those guys kind of joined at the hip the whole time. Um, you could look at this and say it looks like Valentine's ahead of Valentine because he's kind of you know above him on the chart if you want to go that route. I actually just very recently put Valentine ahead of Valentine. I'm not going to stress about it because they're going to go back and forth all the time. It's it's very It's a very, very close race between the two, and they both may end up making it in the end. I don't know. Then on the boundary, you've got Tyrell Ford, then Keandre Thomas, then William Hooper, if you were to try to glean what kind of an order we're in here. Then in the nickel, you've got Keyshawn, Innes Gaines, and I've been saying for a long time, it really feels like Innes has taken that spot. He might already be ahead, but I'm not entirely sure. Again, this is not an official depth chart from the GM or anything. I'm, I'm just taking what, they're, what they've put out here. Innes is ahead of Shamar Jean Charles um, as far as third string. So I did make that change as well. 
And I just deleted all my Starnal Savage notes. <laughs> Son of a gun. I can't undo it. I tried to go back and it's like, nope. So, uh, if you ever do this, don't ever click the little check mark up there on accident because that apparently just is like, all right, cool, you're done with all this. Whatever. Uh, all right. And then safety, we got Savage and Forge still. Um, Jonathan Owens has been taking a ton of snaps with the ones in front of Rudy Ford. So, we'll see if that continues. I also did have to put, because they have in the second string, Tavarius Moore and Jonathan Owens, I did have to put Dallin Levitt behind Moore, which I didn't really want to do, but I did it. But I have to have Dallin Levitt on the 53. So essentially, I put Tervarius Moore ahead of Dallin Levitt, and then I put Dallin Levitt on the 53, which gives me too many people on my 54-man roster right now, but it is what it is. Um, anyways, after that, they have Anthony Johnson Jr., then Dallin Levitt, then Benny Sapp. I'm not putting Anthony Johnson above Levitt. I just can't do it. It's entirely possible that that's the situation because they prioritize their draft pick over Levitt. But I, I, again, the special teams thing, he to me seems like he is the leader of the special teams. And I can't imagine just kicking him off the 53. It just doesn't seem possible. Kicker Anders Carlson. Punter is Pat O'Donnell with Daniel Whelan second. That makes sense. They're not going to, I mean, even if they are margin, this is what I'm talking about with politicking. Even if they are marginally in favor of Daniel Whelan at this point, they're thinking he might be the guy. They're not going to cause some major drama by putting Whelan first and basically Pat O'Donnell sitting. And then Pat O'Donnell's freaking out and calling the Packers and his agents freaking out and they're calling other teams. Just, just relax. You know what I mean? We'll find out if Whelan wins the job the second Pat O'Donnell gets cut. Unless and until that happens, I don't expect any dramatic shifts. Um, they have Keyshawn Nixon, number one punt return and number one kick return with Jaden Reed second in both of those, which is, which is a big and good thing, right? Again, maybe that's not official, but it's, we were hoping Jaden Reed would be able to help and already he seems to be second in those areas. And again, I do kind of expect him to take over as the number one punt returner at some point, but we will see. Matt Orzich is still our long snapper with Broughton Hatcher still as the backup. That is the unofficial depth chart as of august 7th 2023 anyways why don't we take a break right here feels like a good spot please remember to check out grassfedcooperative.com it is a fantastic place to get some high quality grass-fed beef delivered directly to your door they do offer free shipping and if you use promo code packer 10 capital p packer 10 you're going to get 10 percent off your order so head on over there right now and see if there's anything that looks appealing to you Otherwise, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can support the podcast for as little as just $1 per month. If every single person listening just said, fine, quit bugging me, I'll do it. I'll give you the dollar. Honestly, the inconvenience of actually doing it and typing that in and finding it and figuring, putting in your payment information is going to be more annoying than that dollar. But I'm asking for that minor inconvenience. If you would just take that minute. If everybody listening did that, that's it. I'm set. I don't need anything other than this podcast. Please consider it. If you don't like Patreon, there's always uh, Venmo. You can hit me up there at uh, Packernet Podcast. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, 
kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Before we get into um, some of the blast from the past stuff, I just want to bring up one thing that is is we've 90% covered, but I just kind of want to dig a little bit deeper, and that, that goes into the whole, you know, Packers not really doing the best possible job they can as far as fan engagement stuff, right? Um, family night should be nationwide. They should be releasing highlights from training camp, whether that be the social team or just allowing fans to do it. Things like that. The broadcast not just really not being a very well-done broadcast. That's, that's not disrespect to the broadcasters who are absolute legends. I'm just saying the structure of it, the people that put it together and, and said, here's what we're going to talk about and here's the things we're going to do. It, w- it was not good. I forgot what podcast I was listening to, but they were they were talking about this pretty much every podcast has, but... They had mentioned the phrase, um, taking the fans for granted. And I actually think that's a really good point. I, I think, you know, a lot of Bears fans will troll Packer fans and be like, oh, wait, just just wait until your team sucks. You're back to the dark ages. And Packer fans will say, yeah, well, look at the 80s. We still filled the stadium. I just don't want to take it for granted that this is just a thing that'll last forever. Packer fans will always be one of the best and, and biggest and most well-traveled, and that no matter how bad things get, they'll always fill a stadium. You know, I mean, th- this is one of the things, I mean, even, even with my podcast, you know, I've thought about this before. I think part of the reason I got to where I am is because there was a time when nobody was going to work harder than me at this. And um, don't get me wrong, it's it's twice a day, seven days a week. This is still a lot of work, but, you know, if I, if I really think about it, man, I, I, I think I could... I think I was a little bit more intense back in the day than I used to be. But but the point is that that's kind of a common thing. A lot of bigger businesses become complacent, and it's more about how can we maintain where we are and not about how can we build. And as things tend to adapt and change, you know, I, I just don't want to be of the assumption that everything that is will always be. 
Who says some of these other teams can't start garnering bigger fan bases? You know, social media is a big deal. And as much as it doesn't seem like that big of a deal to have a really good social media team, you know, oh, wow, yeah, you have a better social, like, whoop de freaking do we got a better quarterback, so stick it. But there are young people that don't have allegiances. There are people every single day that are choosing teams, that are switching teams, that are, that are doing all these things, and what is it going to be based on? You know, Lil Wayne became a big Packers fan, one of the most prominent, famous Packers fans, because the Packers happened to be in the Super Bowl at that time, and he had, like, Packers cups because he grew up in New Orleans in his house. I mean, it's, it's sometimes pretty random things. And yes, winning the Super Bowl did help in that case, but I'm, I, that's not the point I'm highlighting. It's, it's the fact that it could be any little thing. If a kid can become a Packer fan because he grew up with some Packer cups in his house, who's to say it couldn't be a funny social media video? Or, you know, watching Packers Family Night in Kentucky with my dad, which didn't happen because people in Kentucky were not able to watch. I just saw a video, you know the, the show Hot Ones? It's, uh, I haven't watched it in a while, but I have seen a few of them. Basically, a guy sits down and interviews people, but the whole thing is like you go through and eat chicken wings with really hot hot sauce, and it gets hotter and hotter and whatnot. And I just saw the Chargers had, were on Hot Ones, and they had their quarterback and somebody else, I wasn't sure who it was, do it, and they just showed a little clip of it. Some teams, I think, are taking this very seriously. This sort of race to garner more fans to be popular, to be, to be whatever. And, I'll, and again, all I'm going to say, the Packers have a, ma- a massive fan base, very ravenous fan base, that's fine. But a pa- the Packers are an organization that doesn't think about the now, they think about the future, and that's what makes them such a great organization. It's why we've been such a good organization for such a long time. Draft and develop, build for the future. But we don't have that same approach when it comes to the fan base. When it comes to the fan base, it's, we already have it, let's take it for granted, let's move on slash, as long as we take care of the team, the fans will show up. But again, that wasn't the case in the 80s. We need to make sure that that, that on some level is a priority. I'm not saying it has to be any one thing or the other, but, you know, uh, Kurt Banker just put on Twitter something to the effect of every team should have their own, um, the heck is that show called? Hard Knocks. And, and some do. I just realized the Jets have one. The Jets are on Hard Knocks and they have their own show. Um, what is it, the Colts. We constantly get like behind the scenes of the Colts, and we saw the Dallas Cowboys when it comes to the draft. Right? These guys always put out draft videos and all this stuff. The, the Packers are so closed off in areas that they don't need to be. I'm not saying point the camera at the big board, dude, but you can show the team high-fiving after you took Lucas Van Ness. Would that be such a horrible thing to see Murphy, Mur- Mark Murphy sitting there giggling while Gutekunst is high-fiving, you know, John Eric Sullivan? And Joe Barry's off in the corner, like, just, you know, humping his chair. He's so excited. Give me something, man. We want to be excited about this. We want to be excited with you. Let us in a little bit. And you get to control everything. If there's anything you don't think is great, don't put it out there. But you control everything. Just make sure, whatever you're doing, the camera's always rolling. And can can I offer a suggestion here? As soon as I saw that from Kurt Bankert, this honestly has nothing to do with me. But you have... A guy that lives in Green Bay, that is a prominent individual, very known, well-known individual, that also happens to run a company that has to do with recording events. I don't know much about him or his company, but I can't help but think that it would make sense for the Packers to reach out to Corey Banke and say, listen, what would it take to have you set up a very small crew that doesn't get in my way 
with really high quality cameras and microphones, and you capture everything. And then you work with our social media team and, and whoever else, the executives in charge of Please Don't Leak Our Secrets, and we pump out content, and we put together a little, you know, behind the scenes, and it's all just a puff piece, but who cares, man? What would it take? You don't want to work with an outside company? Fine, hire your own people. They're probably not going to be as good as an established company, but whatever. I'm just saying, if I was in that building, those are the kinds of things I'd be thinking about. Those are the kinds of things I'd be saying. And I'm sure I'd be met with all kinds of scorn, but I, listen, the whole point is, don't take the fan base for granted. Don't assume, yes, if the, if the team is garbage this year, next year, and the year after that, the, the stadium is going to be full. In 50 years, is it going to be full? In 30? In 20? And I'm not just saying, let's say we're bad for 20 years. I'm just saying things change. We know the media doesn't like Green Bay, and, and the media is much bigger these days. In the 1980s, we didn't have, we, we have freaking internet, much less Twitter and Facebook and, and, and 700 different cable channels of these coastal elite media D-bags saying that Green Bay's a bunch of low-life redneck hicks. Screw that team. We hope they suck. You know, the, the teams that matter are the Jets and the Chargers and the Bears and the big city, you know, teams. And again, what are we putting out? Nothing. We have a massive fan base. Don't take it for granted. Assume that we are headed toward purgatory. And I don't just mean in terms of playing. I mean in terms of the fan base will begin to dwindle. Because every single day, the 31 other teams around you are doing a heck of a job going out and trying to garner attention and favor from, from people all over the place. It's an arms race. Get involved. And by the way, you already have one of the most ravenous fan bases out there. If you put out that content, it is going to circulate way more than pretty much anything else. The Chargers putting out that content, who's recirculating it? Ian Rappaport and nobody else because they don't have Chargers. There are no such thing as Chargers fans. If the Green Bay Packers put that out, everybody on planet Earth is going to see that video in five minutes. We're all your employees, dude. You put something out, we're going to make sure everybody sees it. And we're going to be pumping out all the propaganda for you. Put us to work. We're happy to do it for you. And if I may, not that it, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter that much. It's, it's not a me thing. You know, I don't really like getting involved in this anyways. But again, if I'm working for the Green Bay Packers, what am I thinking? You have people that help you. There are people in radio, people on podcasts, YouTubers. Would it be the worst thing in the world to be more open to them? To be supportive? To supply them with things? Because we are the people that are going to draw people in. We're the ones that keep people engaged. I do a 365-day-a-year podcast. I keep your fans engaged all year long. I'm just saying, if it's me, I would be thinking ahead and thinking, these people are... You know, you know how when um, news gets leaked, a lot of the times it's kind of BS, but the team is just using them? And they're happy to be used because they got a leak. And they get to be the, the big shots that, that got something leaked to them. You know how easy it would be to use podcasters and everything else? But you don't do anything. And so guess what? A lot of the narrative is negative. A lot of the media guys on radio and whatnot are just trashing the crap out of you and your, your team. I'm, I, I don't even know what it would look like or what that even means. I'm just saying the fact that they don't care and they're not thinking about it. And again, I, I know this sounds self-serving. And honestly, I wouldn't even enjoy it. So trust me when I say this isn't about me trying to say, oh, you should be doing more for me. It has nothing to do with that. Forget me. Take me out of the equation. Let's say I'm blacklisted because I'm a D-bag and they don't like me. Fine. I don't care. Everybody else that's involved. I was thinking about this for the 2025 draft. You know how cool it would be if they set up a thing honoring all the people that have been dedicated to this team? I'm talking podcasters, radio people, YouTubers, and they got like little, you know, for the draft, an area set up like Media Row, but for local media only. 
Do you know how awesome that would be? Again, I'm, I'm not invited. I get blacklisted. Everybody else. Just as a way of saying thank you to them. For dedicating essentially their lives to this team. The way that they have. You'd have, you know, Tom Grassi and Basarski. I know that sounds weird, but I promise you that's how you say it. Packaday and Bukowski and Demoff. Well, I don't know about Demoff. Demoffsky's kind of a big national guy, but kind of, I don't know. Whatever. And it's just, it's just a strip on the street somewhere. And you could have people go there. You could have whatever. All the, the different personnel people, players, trot them through there. Just to give it that further small town kind of, you know, the, the big media people freaking hate you anyways. Fine. We got our own media row over here. And guess what's going to happen? Massive amounts of content are going to get popped out. All positive. All showing how great of an event this is. Every single content creator is going to be there, on scene, pumping out massive content about how great everything is. You're still going to have the old, the other, you know, Pat McAfee's going to have his own section over there or whatever. I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm just thinking through stuff in terms of. I feel like there's some low hanging fruit, some really easy things you can do, and and maybe you just add a separate, or you don't even add to add a department. You just add to a department. You know, you got your social media group, just add to that. Add a little bit more to it and say, let's do more. Not just these cheesy twice a year. I mean, the, the social media is so... I don't know. I don't know. You know, again, just putting out a couple little clips of, of this, or, you know, so-and-so got released. Like, okay, thanks. We know that. It happened 45 years ago. So, again... My only message is, don't take the fans for granted. Assume that you are in an arms race for the fans of the future. I know we want to expand to Germany and everything else to grow our fan base, but let's not forget our fans here. Let's capture the ones that are here. Let's build excitement for the team. There's a little bit of charm to the fact that it's an old-fashioned team, but that's going to lose its charm pretty fast in a very fast-paced social media environment. I'll leave it at that. All right, I just wanted to briefly bring something else up. Uh, many of you have probably seen this online. Um, I posted this on Twitter and whatnot. But um, a couple different things. I, I just wanted to remind everybody where we were. Because, you know, th there was... Um, I played the video a couple days ago of Aaron Rodgers going into that Dallas game and the announcer saying, essentially, the... Packers are not going to win a lot of games unless something changes drastically, talking about Aaron Rodgers. And he went on to dominate that game. And I think you could assume that, you know, at that point, and some people have even said at that point, you know, the Packers knew what they had and everything was hunky-dory and they loved Rodgers, and, and that's not the same case with Jordan Love, right? After that game, they knew what they had, everything was great, everybody loved them. I went back and looked at a couple different articles, just little snippets here and there, um... East Bay Times, August 8th, 2023. Again, I'm trying to find around the same period. Where were we at right now with Aaron Rodgers? Uh, pressure on Rodgers to fill Favre's cleats. And it, it starts... One of the things I found interesting about the article is it starts by talking about how do you fill the shoes of a guy who is Iron Man, who doesn't miss football games. His streak of not missing games is unbelievable. And it got me thinking about... Because obviously the answer to that question is he can't. Nobody can live up to that. It got me thinking about Aaron Rodgers' um, really low interception rate, whether you want to just look at interceptions or touchdown to interception ratio or whatever, however you want to do it. And it's like, you know, how are we ever going to be able to cope with a guy that's, that's how is he going to fill those shoes? The answer is he's not, right? That is one area in which Aaron Rodgers is untouchable. 
But that doesn't mean Jordan Love can't go on to be a good quarterback. Just like, you you know, yeah, he, he's never going to be able to be as tough as Brett Favre was. That doesn't mean he can't be great. Just kind of starting in the middle here, it says, of all, Favre, uh, of all Favre's imposing credentials, none will shadow Rodgers more than Favre's streak of 253 consecutive regular season starts, or 275 if you account playoffs. The Packers fans never forget the playoffs, even if only one of Favre's 11 postseason ended with the Super Bowl trophy. They've been throwing that in our face since freaking back then. Teams want a quarterback they can count on every Sunday. And and again, th- this is it's a very interesting thing that's happening because they're making it sound like Packer fans are not going to be okay with Aaron Rodgers not being Mr. Iron Man. And Aaron Rodgers is very tough, but obviously he didn't have that same streak of not getting injured. He went out games, he missed time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But again, they make it seem like the the Packers can't have success if they don't have Brett Favre. Like, in the exact same way that you're Brett Favre. And that makes no sense. Because all 31 other teams don't have Brett Favre. And they're making it work. You know, Pat Mahomes doesn't have Aaron Rodgers' touchdown-to-interception ratio. Neither, neither does Josh Allen or Joe Burrow. But I don't see either of those teams saying, we got to get rid of this guy and find somebody that's got a little bit better of a touchdown-to-interception ratio. Favre was as reliable at Lambeau as beers and uh, beers and brats. And it says when Rodgers broke his foot in relief of Favre's game, uh, 2006 game at New England, Rodgers finished out the game. Was it a sign he might be injury prone or that he's as gritty as Favre? So, you know, already like there's, you know, is he injury prone? Like so many questions you don't know about this guy. Aside from the fact that we just know he can't fill Brett Favre's shoes, at least not in the way Brett Favre did it. But again, so what? We didn't want, you know, it's a good thing Aaron Rodgers wasn't Brett Favre. We don't want him to be Brett Favre because he's Aaron Rodgers and that's pretty freaking awesome. He goes on to say, uh, Rodgers looked impressive when he replaced Favre, injured elbow and shoulder during last November's loss to Dallas. But ESPN analyst Ron Jaworski torched Rodgers on Tuesday saying he's not ready to replace Favre. It also says when Rodgers throws an interception, he won't be cut the same slack as Favre. No way, unless perhaps he turns into Green Bay's version of Steve Young with a Hall of Famer following a Hall of Famer, which is freaking hilarious. Because, first of all, you know he's saying that with a little bit of sarcasm. There's no expectation this guy's going to be a Hall of Famer. But he's also right. It's the same with Love. If Favre threw an interception in camp, nobody cared. No, he could throw 50 interceptions in camp and nobody would care. He's just he's just screwing around, whatever. When Love does it, though, it's it's like, yeah, I don't know, man. It's because we don't have that comfort level that says, I know that you're not interception prone, so I'm not worried about it. Maybe Favre would be a little bit different. Here's another article. This was written August 23rd, 2008. Rodgers bounces back in Packers win over Denver. It starts by saying, Aaron Rodgers went from a pathetic, uh, from pathetic one week to just about perfect the next. Brett Favre's replacement as Green Bay's quarterback bounced back from a bad game at San Francisco to complete 18 of 22 passes for 193 yards, a touchdown in the Packers' 27-24 win over Denver on Friday night. This is obviously preseason. Rodgers led four scoring drives in his five possessions and was 16 of 19 for 178 yards against the Broncos starters, including a 10-yard touchdown to Donald Driver on the game's opening drive. I just read that little snippet because, again, just trying to go back to that time, you don't know what he is. There's a lot of trepidation. There's certainly a lot of people that are angry that we let Brett Favre go, feeling as though he should have been, you know, he said he wanted to come back. We should have brought him back, which is, I mean, even more than what happened with Rodgers. Rodgers didn't say he wanted to come back. He he had some garbage about, like, well, if they wanted me. Nonsense. Both teams are playing coy. Rodgers doesn't want to be here. Packers don't want him here. 
Neither one of them wants to admit that. But again, we go back to this time. Aaron Rodgers is complete garbage against the 49ers. Then he comes back and has a much better performance against the Denver Broncos, and you have people writing an article saying Rodgers went from pathetic to perfect. Can you imagine Aaron Rodgers being called pathetic, you know, in the middle of his career because of like a playing a quarter of preseason and be like, what are you talking about, stupid? But at the time, it's like, this dude's kind of trash. And then the next week, he's like, well, that was better. Here's an article from uh, SF Gate, written May 23rd, 2008. Um, Aaron Rodgers gets a daily reminder he doesn't need. Less than 10 feet from where he's uh, from where he dresses is Brett Favre's old locker, nameplate intact, and complete with shoulder pads still sitting on the shelf. Quote, I know the pressure I'm under. I know who I'm following. I know that it's a tough situation, and a lot of people are expecting me to fail outside of this locker room, Rodgers said in his first football-related uh, comments since he was anointed as Favre's successor in March. I'm just trying to get the guys we've got here now to believe in me. So again, for, for anybody that said that we knew what we had and everybody believed in him and he was going to be a superstar, Rodgers doesn't seem to think so. He seems to be addressing the people that, um, including Packer fans, but all the people that seem to believe that he was going to fail. This would be fans, this would be media. In the Packers' second practice and third organized team activities on Wednesdays, the former Cal quarterback whipped a tight pass to top receiver Donald Driver, who broke out of a big grin after the grab, Driver said the transition from 4 to 12 is seamless. Quote, number 4, he's not here, but he's here in spirit. Nothing is changing. We're not going to do anything different than what we would if Brett was here. The play calling is going to stay the same. The cadence going to stay the same. There's nothing different. You just see a different face, but you move on. So this kind of feels like the David Bakhtiari crew. You know what I mean? Like, he, he's an old Brett Favre guy. He got here in 1999. He'd been there for a while. He's been there with Brett Favre. So it's not to say he's rejecting Aaron Rodgers. I'm sure he was great about it. He's a good dude and all that. But when you ask him about it, he doesn't give you that sort of warm and, and cozy that you're looking for. It's like, yeah, well, you know, we wish Favre was here. He'll be here in spirit. But whatever. It's just a new face. You move on. Nothing changes. The offense stays the same. Like, they're not even giving, the, they're not even giving him the, the respect of saying, like, you know, some things are going to change. We're going to build this offense around Rodgers. It's like, no, screw that. We're going to stay the same. We're going to keep doing what you're doing. And the young kid's going to have to pick it up and, and figure out how to be Brett Favre. He goes on to say, and again, just think the parallels here. I know the comparison, probably my entire career, as long as I'm a Packer and as long as I play in the NFL, my connection will be the guy who followed Brett Favre. Now, he did come out from under that shadow, but at the time, that's how it felt. Like, I'm always just going to be that guy that followed Brett Favre. And everything I do is compared to Brett Favre. And that's how Jordan Love is going to be. Every single thing he does is going to be compared to Brett Favre or, or Aaron Rodgers, at least for now. And that's how it's going to be up and until, uh, unless and until he's able to break out of that. Another quote that I find hilarious or just kind of, again, parallels. I think that's probably one of the most underrested parts of my game is that I have spent the last three off seasons exclusively here and I've put in a lot of time and a lot of hard work figuring out this offense, Rodgers said. That could be a Jordan Love quote. And again, it's the fact that he says that's an underestimated part of my game. People aren't giving me credit for that. Like, you don't understand. I've been here for three years. I know this offense inside and out. I was built and bred here, man. Then you've got one of the newer guys, James Jones. Wide receiver James Jones scoffs that there's someone new or untested in the huddle. Quote, new quarterback. A-Rod has been here for a long time, man. I'm excited about him. I'm happy for him. I think he's going to do well. 
Remember when I played the thing about um, Andrew Brandt? He said some of the younger wide receivers were going up to the front office saying, hey, this guy's for real. He's talking about guys like James Jones. Remember, Jones came in um, one year prior to when Rodgers started in 2007. That's the exact same situation Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs are in. He was drafted in 27, one year prior to Aaron Rodgers taking over. Another interesting little snippet. This is from the New York Times. Packers' new leader works on developing um, a following his way. Just a little quote here. Asked if he ever imagined the Packers trading Favre, Rodgers said, nah, I thought I was going to get traded first, especially when those Randy Moss rumors were out there. That referred to last year when Favre lobbied the Packers general uh, manager, Ted Thompson, to trade for Moss, who instead went to New England from Oakland. That's very similar to when Aaron Rodgers got his new contract and Jordan Love thought his time here was done, right? He didn't think that Rodgers would be the one getting shipped out. He thought he was going to get shipped out. Another snippet. This one comes from On Milwaukee. Mentally tired, Favre decides to call it quits. All the way down at the bottom of the article. I bring it up just because, remember, if you look at Jordan Love's stats, they're not good. In totality, they're not good. Here is what, and when was this written? Well, it was written when, same time frame, 2008, sometime around when Favre decided to hang it up. It talks about at the very bottom about Rodgers. It says, the Packers now look to the future. On paper, it would be logical to think that Aaron Rodgers, the, the team's first-round draft choice in 2005, would be Favre's heir apparent. Rodgers appeared in just five games over his first two seasons, completing 15 of 31 passes for 111 yards with an interception and no touchdowns. In 2008, he made two appearances and saw his first significantly uh, significant professional playing time against Dallas in Week 13 after Favre left the game with an in injury. He connected 18 of 26 attempts for 201 yards and also recorded his first touchdown. Rodgers also ran five times for 30 yards in the Packers' 38-27 uh, loss. It's funny that they lost that game. Right, so a lot of skepticism. His stats were bad, but then he had that one good game. But then in 2008, there's still skepticism. Just because of that one game, it's not like he's anointed now. Oh, he's going to be great. Here's the final thing that I'll put on here, and this is what I ended up putting on Twitter. This is from Deadspin, so you know it's going to be pretty brutal. Deadspin is a garbage rag website that I don't even, I think it's still around. I don't really know. It's complete trash. I can't stand it. But whoever Rick Chandler is, he wrote an article August 5th, 2008, Aaron Rodgers' era begins the way you thought it might. Just another condescending D-bag non-Packers fan. I don't know what his allegiances are. I know he's in California. I know he's still, he's associate editor at some nothing website right now. But anyways, condescending as only Deadspin can be. Again, the title, Aaron Rodgers' era begins the way you might you thought it might. Aaron Rodgers was welcomed with all the warmth and patience that one might expect from the down-to-earth, dairy-loving folks of Wisconsin on Monday. He was booed back to the Stone Age. The, guy th uh, the new guy threw an end-zone interception during a two-minute drill to go along with a dozen or so incompletions, drawing displeasure from the 56,600 who braved an hour's rain delay to watch the family night scrimmage at Lambeau Field. Booed at family night. That's harsh. I can't imagine a ruder home reception unless you're Steely McBeam, whatever that means. Meanwhile, the Packers had to cancel a press conference to introduce Favre back to the team because he was still meeting with coach Mike McCarthy with no indication that anything was decided. Well, this season has certainly gotten off to a smooth start. Then they have an excerpt, I'm assuming from an article that he put in here. It says, playing with the number one offense, Rodgers completed just 7 of 20 passes for 84 yards and ended his only crack at a two-minute drill 
by throwing an interception in the end zone on a ball that badly missed receiver Greg Jennings. A handful of plays before, safety Aaron Rouse picked off Rodgers. Some, uh, some in the crowd began to boo. Quote, they're booing all of us, probably me mostly, Rodgers said. So yeah, I take it personally. But it's not the first time, and it probably won't be the last time. Then he goes on to say, except that indeed it might. Added to the fact that Favre may be competing with Rodgers for the starting spot beginning today. So apparently there was still talk about Favre coming back and he may lose his job. And the fans didn't want him here and he was playing like trash. He went out on family night and looked like complete and utter garbage. It goes on to say, Though Rodgers' stats were hurt by several drop passes, at one point he suffered through a stretch with nine straight incompletions. Six of those came against the second-string defense. What's more, Rodgers never faced the Packers' top cornerbacks because Al Harris and Charles Woodson were held out of scrimmage. He says, by next week, Rodgers may not even be boo-worthy. Then he goes on to say some garbage making fun of people from Wisconsin. So no, there was no, like, the Dallas game was the big thing that we knew. Because the next time it rolled, it wasn't like that was it. That was the moment. Like, he did that, and then he tore up the league. No, he didn't. The next offseason was terrible. The family night was terrible. His first preseason game was completely horrendous. And then the season ended, and it wasn't even that good of a season. So Aaron Rodgers sat for three years and studied this offense and knew it inside and out, and still, in year four, he takes over as a starter and still struggled. Part of this is a reminder to myself. You know? I, I, I know what we need to see, and I know what I want to see. And I know that not see, every day you don't see it is another day closer to it's never coming, right? At some point, it becomes more and more and more real to where you cross over that line into, I just, I, I think we've crossed over into, I don't think it's going to happen. We're not anywhere near that right now. But again, every day that we go where you don't see a, a good day or a consistent day or whatever, is a day that I worry. But again, this is a, in my opinion, a great reminder. One of the greatest to ever throw a football, Aaron Rodgers, sat for three years. He didn't beat Brett Favre, by the way. What a bum. Didn't replace the Hall of Famer. Then he comes out and has a predictable start to his season by being completely awful in family night, pretty trash in the preseason, and having a pretty subpar first season to begin with. Maybe subpar is harsh. It was very rocky, and it was very inconsistent. In fact, let me finish with this. Let's go through his PFF grades from his first week. Week one against Minnesota, he was 18 of 22, 178 yards and a touchdown, 88.3 grade, 89 passing grade. Freaking elite. Week two against Detroit, so back-to-back divisional opponents. 24 of 38, 328 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Elite. Then he's 22 of 39, no touchdowns, no interceptions, average grade. Then against Tampa, 14 of 27, 165, two touchdowns, three interceptions, 51 grade. Then 82, then 60, then 70, then 60, then 30 against Minnesota, then 60, then 50, then 70, then 60, then 70, 70, and then another elite game against Detroit. So it's elite, elite, eh, really good, eh, ooh, ah, yeech. And then, ah, good again. So, I mean, honestly, how do you feel about this? I mean, it, overall, it was it was good. Don't get me wrong. I would happily take 4,045 yards, 28 touchdowns, and 13 picks from Jordan Love this year. But you're still looking at it going, man, that's, that's pretty inconsistent. And, and, and I would personally, obviously I would be wrong in this, but I, w- I would sit back and I'd look at this and I'd say, you know, I just worry that he's too inconsistent to win a Super Bowl. Not not definitively, not not can't win a Super Bowl, but you know, 
consistency is so important in the postseason because you can't lose one. It's single elimination, man. You're done. So you have a bad day, you're out. And he had so many bad days, right? I mean, if we characterize it, he had basically like three elite days, uh, one, two, three, four, five good to very good days, one, two, three, four, five average days, and three bad days. So it's pretty close to 50-50 between good and below good. Compare that to what we came to know in 2011, where it was 80-60, You know, like, <laughs> that's a guy that can win a Super Bowl. No question. But it is what it is, Mike. And I don't expect consistency this year. I shouldn't expect consistency this year. Can we get enough consistency to win some games? And then maybe get bailed out on a couple others? Can we get enough high-level play from Jordan Love that he carries the team a couple times and shows those flashes of a truly elite quarterback like Rodgers did in that first year where he had, what, like four games where he was basically elite? And honestly, that is kind of what I see from Jordan. I don't see him as a guy that's going to be like a, uh, a Daniel Jones. Like, he might just be average. No, I think he's going to be awful or he's going to be elite. There's too many just highlight throws. I mean, just watch Jordan Love. It's either, what the heck was that? Or it's, did you freaking see that? So I think it's going to be one way or another. He's, he's either going to clean up the inconsistencies or he's not, and he's just going to end up flaming out. Anyways, I got to get out of here. You guys have a good rest of your day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.